0: From the NFL, we know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA, Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football, the Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott
1: holdout could be coming to a close.
0: The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep
1: telling y'all my last name is no joke.
0: And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom.
1: Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Nathan Drinkard, I'm Jay Wise. Thanks for spending some of your time with us. Cody Ward will be back with us Friday. What's up, Drink?
0: What up, Jay? Dang, it's a little lonely about the third piece, but hey, what are we getting into today?
1: It is, but we'll survive. In episode 26, Riverboat Ron sails away, rivalry week breaks Crimson Tide hearts, and we break down the latest college football playoff rankings. We begin with a heavily anticipated matchup between the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers. The Ravens won 20-17 to Sunday in walk-off fashion as Justin Tucker kicked the game winner from 49 yards out as time expired. Rainy conditions dictated the offensive strategy as neither team came close to 200 yards passing. The 49ers' first-ranked defense only allowed 283 yards total, but 101 came courtesy of Lamar Jackson running the football. Meanwhile, the 49ers got a career day from running back Raheem Mostert, but were unable to get the win. So, Drake, let's begin with you. What did you think of the game, and did we just witness a Super Bowl 54
0: preview? Well, let me tell you something. First of all, what I thought of the game was It was a Super Bowl 54 preview. So, yes, I I know what people are saying. Come on, man. You think the 49ers going to beat the Saints, the Seahawks, to get to the Super Bowl? And I do think it's very well possible. What I've seen out of the 49ers, I was very impressed. They went against the offense. Now, I I just want to be known, in the first half, Lamar Jackson was looking to do what he's been doing all season, which is putting that first half nail in the coffin. So the Ravens like number one in the NFL for pretty much making the game unplayable in the first half, meaning they jump out to a good lead, and then they're able to sit and play zone or whatever for the rest of the game and get you out of your way. Well, the reason I was impressed with San Francisco is because they was able to take that punch. Oh, and by the way, it was in bad weather because one of the things about California teams is they have a uh, reputation of not being able to play in bad weather. Well, we found thought that's not necessarily true for this 49 team because the weather did get a little hasty out there, I must say. Got a little messy and sloppy, and they were still able to get the job done. I know one of the things was coming into this game for the 49 was, will the 49ers be able to stop this highly vaunted Raven run game? I'm going to tell you right now, it's probably not a team in the NFL that can just completely stop the run game. So we'll use the term slow down this run game. And I thought in the first half, they was trying to figure out some things. They're like, all right, Lamar Jackson, this guy is every bit as good as everybody say. I see why he's an MVP candidate. He's doing his thing. He's doing his sweeps. He's doing this. He's doing that. Um, Mark Ingram. Let's be real, like you get so caught up with Mark uh Lamar Jackson that you forget about Mark Ingram. And then he comes in there and hits you with the and then if that ain't enough, here come um here come uh Edwards. Then he coming in and he gonna come and clean up what's left of you on the floor. So the the run game is fantastic. Now the once again the 49ers, they took their lumps. They like, okay, this is the real deal, folks. This ain't just a hoax. But they figured it out in the second half. I thought in the second half they played that run game a lot better in the second half. Hence the reason why the score was 20 to 17. Think about this. The Ravens only scored 20 points. <laughs> like, that's a weird within itself that they only scored 20 points. Cause this is a team that's lighting it up. Number one in the NFL in scoring, they would tear you up. We didn't seen the time at the time prime time as, at that. San Francisco figured it out. And it wasn't, to me, it wasn't necessarily predicated on the defensive line. Don't get me wrong, that defensive line did do, do its job and make things tough for Lamar Jackson. But I thought the linebacker actually played better than I gave them credit for or didn't, without their starting linebackers in there. You know, they've been dealing with injuries. I thought those guys that came in to replace them, I, I personally, I, okay, I, I see San Francisco, so this defense is really good. We're not overhyping this defense. This defense can play, and let me tell you, in that game, for all the hype around that game, I can say that game lived to that hype. Why? Lamar Jackson MVP candidate. He played. He played good, to my opinion, right? Baltimore, number one team in the AFC. Did they not look like the, the number one team in the AFC? I thought they did. Then you got San Francisco, right? Run game. Defense. No, at number two team in the NFC. Chick, check, check. So then you got these two powerhouse teams come. Usually, usually, when you have so much hype around a game like this, it usually don't live up to the hype. One team blow out the other one, or it's a snooze fest. Go ahead and get my pillow. I'm out of here. Well, that wasn't the case in this game. This game was highly entertaining. And like I said, it was, it was messy. But, look man, with all that said, can I see this team in, in, the, in the Super Bowl? Absolutely. Could I see both of these teams? Absolutely, baby! Cause the one thing the 49ers can do that I can't, that I don't think the Saints can do, they can throw the ball down the field. The same thing showed me that since Drew Brees been back. I'm sorry. I know everybody like, oh, baby. They said, number one team in the NFC. You can't talk that crap. I don't care. The Patriots was the number one team in the AFC and they couldn't throw the ball down the field. What did that tell me? Like, they can't throw the ball down in the field. That's part of the reason why they're not the number one team in the NFC. Because Tom Brady can't find anybody down the field. And I'm feeling like right now, Drew Brees is having that same problem with the Saints. Now, when we're going to get into this, I know that for the 49ers and the Saints is the next. Next hot one out the box this weekend. So the Saints got a chance to prove me wrong. But until I see that, that's just how I feel about it. Um, But, yes, the game itself was beautiful. Now, one thing the Ravens do that I that I wanted to make sure I said something about was that three tight end look that they got, that is, man, let me tell you, I don't know if it was John Harbaugh deal. I don't know if it was the offense coordinator or deal. Or that young guy that they got that crunch numbers and say, hey, play this play or play that play. I don't know. I think they call him Madden because I think he literally comes up with a board and say, this is the suge- this is the suggested play, but you can go anywhere else, but I suggest we run this play. And then, you know, John Harbaugh kind of go out there and click on the button and say, select. And then that's the play that they run. That might or might not be true, I don't know, but that's what it sounds like every time I hear about this analytics guy that's kind of just hidden or whatever. Because that three tight end, Mark Andrews, Cowboy, um, Bull, uh, Hayden Hurst, that three tight end connection they got, them What? Boy, boy, let me tell you, whoever the tight end coach there, this dude going to get a job real soon. He going to get a job real soon because, hey, he know what he's doing. And I don't want to hear no crap. Oh, this is yeah. some fluky crap. When the last time you seen an offense with three tight ends that do what these dudes do? Three. Not just one, one good guy and then the, the other two. Yeah, it's a big drop off between one and two. No. these yeah, they, three, all, they all can play. They all play. And, mind you, yo, do you know Andrews only play a third of the snaps for this team? He don't even play many snaps at all. That's pretty remarkable considering he's probably Jackson's favorite target. The lead receiver on the team, and he played like a third of the game. That's incredible to me. Like, it's incredible. Whatever. That blew my mind. So, with that said, look here, man. So, I was looking at the the total yards. I was kind of surprised at the total yards. Um, The 49ers actually outgained the Ravens? Is, Is that what I saw? Hmm. That's what Inter- happened. Interesting. Um, that's due mainly to the, the passing, which, uh, you know, I, the passing wasn't, you know, phenomenal, but, hey, against the Ravens, what can you ask for? You you get what you get, right? 157 to 105. Typical for the, the Ravens because they more of a run team. They live on a run. But Lamar liked to show you that, hey, I ain't just a runner. I could throw that thing over the top too. Come holler at you, boy. And um, then you got the rushing yards. And the rushing yards, very, very close. Listen to me, people. Listen. this The Ravens had 178. The 49ers had 174. So if you don't think this team is a Super Bowl team, you better go back and look at these numbers. These boys is rushing the ball, and they playing defense. Let me tell you, that is the recipe in the playoffs. And then you did that to Baltimore in Baltimore. Hey, that... <laughs> I was, I'm sold, baby. I'm sold on them. I'm tell you, before this game started, I want to do this full disclosure. Before the game started, I thought, I, I did, I, I liked the 49ers defensive line, but that was about it. I said, the Ravens probably take it from here, folks. You know, and you know, I, I got respect for Kyle Shanahan's offensive mind. Very good offensive guy. You know, bar none. Probably the best offensive mind in the game. I mean, you know, people have their different opinions, but right now it's hard for me to argue against Kyle Shanahan, because Kyle Shanahan had done it everywhere he'd have been. You name the place, he'd have done it. Alright? So, I, I did think offensively they had slight of an edge cause of the mind, but you, you still gotta play the game. And I thought the Ravens had that. Um, so I was very impressed with that rushing total. Uh, third down. Everything in the 49ers did something cause they was, the Ravens was only 30% from first down, uh, for, uh, third down. So they went three for 10, so they. That tells me that the 49ers... Now, the 49ers went 4 for 12. Don't get me wrong. The Ravens was better on third down. But we're talking about the Ravens. See, we don't talk about the 49ers as a juggernaut just yet. We talk about the Ravens as, you know, the the showstoppers right now. Must-see TV, the Ravens. Um, Turnovers. Hey, look at that. Clean game. One thing about um, Garoppolo was his turnovers. He he was turning over the ball. It was hard to trust him. Well, he only had one turnover against the Ravens. So, you know what I mean? So, evidently, he can play in sloppy weather and he can play against a high-level defense and still not lose the game for you. That's what he proved to me. This is why these are the little things that made me think, hey, the 49ers, they're a little better than what people get them credit for because a lot of people say, oh, that. They record only they record because they play weak competition. Well, that narrative about to get smashed because they play the Saints here come up this Sunday. So if you call playing the Ravens, the Saints and Seahawks weak competition, then you need to go watch another league because that ain't it. So, um, all in tell and, and the one more thing I want to say before I, uh, hand it over to you Jay, is this. I've learned throughout this college football season and, just, and some of these, NFL teams that if you have a weakness on your team and the weakness on your team is the quarterback, that's not the worst problem in the world. I understand how important the quarterback is, but I have gotten evidence this year that you can make it happen if your quarterback ain't the best, if you can get everything else done. Buffalo, they making it happen. So Josh Allen, no, Josh Allen is playing better lately. But Josh Allen ain't beating the world, all right. He he's been kind of flopping around. The Bears somehow was making it happen with Mr. Biscuit. He, they was making it happen. Now they want to get rid of Biscuit, no, we know that. But they were still making it happen with Mr. Biscuit, right? Um, so there's was just a couple of. And then like in college, I've been looking. I seen Auburn beat Alabama this weekend. Quarterback ain't been doing nothing. Oh, by the way, I see Alabama also throw up 48 points with a backup quarterback. Okay. And then I see Wisconsin. They go out there and put it on Minnesota with a quarterback that's been dead most of the season. Iowa ain't been doing nothing for most of the season. Then that quarterback. So my point is this it's a formula out there for you to get it done if you don't have an elite level quarterback. You just got to have everything else in the right situation. So after seeing that, man. I got a lot of confidence in the Forty ers man. Even with a loss, I do see this being a Super Bowl, uh, matchup.
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a potential Super Bowl preview. And the game itself is a good football. And it's, this is probably not the brand of football that the NFL is looking for because we know the NFL is all about offense, offense, offense. Go, go, go. Score, score, score. 20 to 17 is sort of a throwback score because 49ers Look, we give we give Kyle Shanahan a lot of credit and respect for his offensive acumen. We know there's a lot of a lot of things on that offense we like. They got good weapons in there. They bring in Manuel Sanders. You have George Kittle at the tight end position. You got a three-headed monster back there in running back. When you throw in what Mostert did on Sunday, and Garoppolo, he's a suitable NFL quarterback. We don't know how good he is yet. But to your point about not needing, when you have all the other pieces in place. You just need a quarterback that can come in there and won't flop around and lose the game for you. And that's and that is that's what Garoppolo is right now. I think he's a game manager type quarterback, and we'll see as he progresses because we got to remember, when you think of how many games he's started, he's still relatively young in his career. So we got to take that new account. Yeah. But as far as a Super Bowl preview, it has the potential to be that, and I think Baltimore right now, It's hard to see someone in the AFC stopping them the way they're going. We already see them boat race New England, and we admit that if there's anybody that can perhaps put a game plan together, especially already seeing Lamar Jackson once, it would be Bill Belichick. But now you consider the way they just looked against Houston and another mobile quarterback. And now also considering that loss has taken the number one seed out of their hands. So that matchup as it is now would not be in Foxborough. That's going to make it tough on New England. It's going to make it tough on whoever is to meet Baltimore in the playoffs. Now, in the NFC it's a lot more crowded. And although I will I will um confess to you, the 49ers, there can be no mistake about, it. this is a real football team. The problem is the path that they're going to have to maneuver come playoff time, especially if they can't go to Seattle and avenge that loss earlier in the year because if they don't if they're unable to beat Seattle and take the NFC West then we got to look at going on the road three straight times to reach the Super Bowl and although we know the 49ers are talented and they're good enough to do it it's just something that's difficult to do especially when you consider that that would probably include a trip to New Orleans and Seattle perhaps which is something they're going to have they're going to have both of those games coming up so we're going to see how they how they react to the to, to those environments. Now, the environment wasn't too big for them this past Sunday because they were in Baltimore, and I will I will tell you about those rushing numbers. I think they're a bit deceiving. You look at what they were able to do against Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards. I believe Ingram was fifteen for fifty nine yards, and Edwards six for fifteen. So they actually did a good job in the traditional run defense sort of things. The problem is, and this is what I believe would be the difference when we discussed this matchup uh last week, Lamar Jackson's the ultimate X-factor because his skill set and his athleticism is just something that you can't simulate it in practice and it's very difficult to defend. And you look at what he was able to do on the ground, 16 carries, 101 yards, that's most of the damage that they did on the ground. You, you remove that, they only ran for 71 yards, so the 49ers and I'm going to tell you their linebacker the one linebacker they have Fred Warner he's a good player so we got to give him credit but it's just one of those things it's going to take an unorthodox outside the box game plan for anybody to stop Baltimore and I'm going to tell you this I think San Francisco is actually the team best equipped at this point to do that especially considering what they were able to do Sunday New England I give them an outside chance to stop them in the AFC in the AFC playoffs but then we got we got to remember new england's a mess offensively right now and we 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 were of the mindset that with some of their weapons coming back you look at philip dorsett muhammad sanu that that would help tom brady it didn't seem to help a whole lot sunday night against houston so he chewed them out yeah, the, <laughs> yeah that's right and so that's that's the problem but those are the problems with this being a super bowl preview 49ers are definitely talented enough But if they don't have home field, I think that's going to hold them back. And that's, now that's actually going to, I think that would make for a less compelling Super Bowl matchup. Because again, I think the 49ers out of the NFC, they match up with Baltimore the best. I don't think Seattle can handle, I don't think Seattle is going to be able to handle what Baltimore's got for them on the defensive side. I don't think they're, I don't think they're good enough defensively to handle that running attack. And the only other team I think that would have a chance, is the Saints. I think the Saints defense with how good they've been, I think they would have a chance. I think their linebacking core is actually a bit better than what San Francisco can throw at you, and that's what you need when you look at when you look at defending a Lamar Jackson. But out, outside of that, other teams in the NFC, Green Bay, you can go ahead and forget about it. They don't they, they're not physical enough. They showed it against San Francisco.
0: Now let me ask you this. Now, <clears throat> so if the 49ers go To New Orleans and beat New Orleans Sunday, do you still have that feeling about them going on the road? Yes, because the, the
1: the big problem is if you don't win your division, you have to win three straight on the road. Now, that's not saying they can't do it. And you're right. Going to New Orleans this Sunday and winning on the road in a hostile environment where New Orleans doesn't lose a lot at home and neither does Seattle. So if you show that in the regular season, it's a great sign. But it still doesn't mean you can take the challenge of winning three, three straight on the road in the playoffs. I just still think that that in itself is going to be hard to accomplish.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and, and like you said, that murderous role in the NFC, man, like the, the Ravens definitely got an easier path to the Super Bowl than in the quarter. But like I said, man, I mean, I like what I've seen, but you made a great point. I had to see how they handled us being in New Orleans and see how they handled us being in Seattle. Cause we just seen, uh, a Monday night that going in Seattle, they ain't no joke. I mean, I think they're the only team that has, a uh, um, volume radar that's stuck to the camera that you get to look at every five minutes when the crowd gets loud. I mean, I don't remember going to no other game and they got one of them joints just standing right there, right there, standard issue. Um, so yeah, man, you make a great point. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, and so and so looking at San Francisco, if they enter as a wild card,
1: they'll probably be, they probably most likely be the 5 seed. So they play the whoever comes out of the NFC trash can, which is Dallas at that point. I think they go to Dallas or Philadelphia. They go to either one of those places. I think they win that game. But then they would have new at New Orleans and most likely at Seattle. Those would be your most your two most likely divisional and championship games. And I'm gonna tell you, as much as as much as we like Garoppolo and we believe he he can play, I still give Drew Brees and Russell Wilson. I still put more faith in them in the ability to make more plays than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think ultimately that would be the difference for me at this point.
0: Yeah, especially if they're at home. You know what I'm saying? How could I go against Drew Brees in New Orleans in the playoffs and then go against Russell Wilson in Seattle in the playoffs? So I absolutely agree with that. They both better quarterbacks. Staying with the NFL, we turn to Charlotte, North Carolina, as the Panthers owner David Tepper has fired head coach Ron Rivera. Rivera was in his ninth season with a 5-7 and record. And a 5-3 and three start to start the season has turned into a four-game skid. Mm, 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 mm. And the Panthers front office decided they had seen enough. They're out of here. Rivera, Rivera leads as the Panthers' winningest coach and amassing a 67-63-1 record. Three division titles from 13 to 15. A Super Bowl appearance in 15 and two coaches, two coaches of the year award. Secondary coach Perry... Who is this guy? Will take over as the interim head coach. We discussed coaches on the hot seat last week, Jay. But do you agree with Rivera getting fired? And did it was this a surprising turn of events for you? Yeah, we talked about this last week, and it, it, it's fitting that this happened
1: because we discussed coaches that were potentially on the hot seat and could be in danger of losing their jobs. We had Ron Rivera on this week on, on this list, and. We thought that, we thought Ron Rivera was on the hot seat. I didn't see him getting fired though. So I am a little bit surprised, although after listening to what the owner had to say, it's, it's not, it's not shocking. I still think there's a surprise level to it, but I'm not shocked because one of the things I was thinking about earlier and I actually went to the, went to the numbers and what we have on some of the coaches that have been longer tenured than Ron Rivera. It's a pretty impressive list, I gotta tell you. The only coaches longer tenured than Ron Rivera was before he was just fired were Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Pete Carroll, and Jason Garrett. We're gonna throw Jason Garrett out of there because we all know he does, we all know he's a dead man walking, or at least he should be. But all those other guys, Belichick, Payton, Tomlin, Harbaugh, Carroll, they all have Super Bowls. So we know when you get that Super Bowl victory, that just, that kinda gives you insurance for a long time let's let's be honest on some of these guys Harbaugh Tomlin and Payton they haven't won a Super Bowl in in many years now what's it been they haven't won a Super Bowl in this decade I believe I believe I'm correct in saying that but what has happened with that that Super Bowl win bought them time and it bought them goodwill with the fans and ownership I think that's what happened there Ron Rivera in his ninth year as the Panthers coach yes Impressive records, 76 and 63, won some playoff games, two coach of the year awards. I think that's really impressive. And then you look at one Super Bowl appearance came up short in 2015 against the Denver Broncos. But ultimately, what I think happened here is you have new ownership that just came in last year, the year before. It's been relatively recent that ownership has changed. So they're looking at Ron Rivera and they're saying, I think, I think what they're perhaps saying is, maybe we've peaked with this guy. Maybe we've, Ron Rivera has taken us as far as he can. And there comes a point, I think at a, at times where we just, where you just need a different direction. And I think that's what ultimately happened with the Carolina Panthers. And you look at some of the things that the uh, new owner, Dave Tepper said, and one of the things he said, there is a point where you have to try to elevate a whole organization without shaking a tree. You can't get any apples that I think that kind of reinforces what I just said about, at some point you look at a guy, he's been in the situation for so long, for this long, and you haven't won the whole thing. So maybe you just need to go in a different direction because it's been eight or nine years. We just need to go it. We just need to move, move on at this point. And also thinking about what's the big, like the big, like trend in the NFL from a head coaching perspective is offense. Those young offensive minds, that everybody's gunning for, which seemed to start with the Sean McVays of the world. So now we, especially in the out West, you got Sean McVeigh, you got Kyle Shanahan. Those are kind of the two guys I think everybody's looking for. They're looking for the next Sean McVeigh, the next Kyle Shanahan. And where can we find those guys? Even the Cincinnati Bengals, you look at them last year. They pulled this young this young cat, Zach Taylor, out of Sean McVay. Sean McVay already got a coaching tree. He pulled Zach Taylor out of the, the from the Los Angeles Rams. He up in Cincinnati finally got his first win. That's just where we're trending. And that's kind of what I think Dave Tepper is looking for, although I don't think he's ruled out a defensive guy. He's just probably going to have to be, you know, blown away by what he sees from there. Um, But, yes, ultimately, I'm surprised at this. And I see Ron Rivera getting a job, getting another job really soon. I think he's going to be a head coach elsewhere next year.
0: Yeah. Surprise is an understatement. I mean, look here. I, I hear what the owner's saying. I read what he said. Hey, man, that's all good and dandy, but you couldn't let him finish the season. Like, okay, okay, I got it. Like, that's right. That'd be and that'd be my biggest gripe. And yes, you know, so, so I got it. All right, you shook the trees, you ain't get no apples. But God, leave. Keep shaking the tree until his. I, I, I don't know. Like, let the man. He he earned the right to finish the season at least, man. He won games, mind you. He won games with a backup quarterback. It wasn't like, yeah, I understand they're on a four-game skid, but they could have been on an eight-game skid a ten-game skid. Cam Newton was out there pretty early. He was out of there early. So, you know, give credit where credit is due. Let the man finish the season, go out on his shield. You want to get rid of him in the offseason? Get rid of him. Whatever. It's your team. You the boss, man. Do whatever. But to fire him... I, I got it. They're not a playoff team. I just felt like that was, that was kind of crazy. And then I, I, I just felt that was like a little disrespectful to what Ron Rivera has accomplished and what he had, what he was doing this season, not, not last, but what he's doing in this season. I just felt like he earned the right state. Now, my idea of what's going on is this. It sounds good what he's saying. Hey, we the peaked. He don't seem like he's going to give us nothing. Hey, it's time to move on. It's time to change the, uh, change the uh, page of the book. What it sounds like to me is he trying to get all this Jerry Richardson stuff out of here. That's what it seems to me. It, it looked like a young, clean sweep. He's going to get rid of the president. He's going to get rid of the GM. He already got rid of the head coach. And Cam Newton probably going to be on the chopping block it seems like everybody that was under that whole Richardson regime is they are done. They're out of here. Cause it, it kind of, it reminds me of, you know, anytime you get like a new leader in the military, they come through, they got their way of, they want to do things and they kind of want, you know, if you've been there for a while, you're like, well, when so-and-so was here, this is how we did it. Well, I don't care how he did it. This is how I'ma do it. All right? So <laughs> I'ma, you know, you know, move, move it on. This is how I want it. So, that's what I see here. He's saying, check this out. This is the temper era, not the Riston era. I'm I'm done with that. My name starts with a T, not a R. Let we a hey, we about to ship shape up. That could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. We don't know. We gotta wait and see. I can't be mad at them. When you get when you inherit, you know, when you buy a billion dollar franchise, you can do whatever you want to do with that billion dollar franchise. So, he wanna clean up, he wanna start from scratch, and I ain't mad at him. Get, get, get those, if you felt like th- those are not your guys, get them out of there. But I just don't like, you could've got them out in the offseason. Now, maybe he's saying to himself, hey, I need to go ahead and get the coach out of here now so I can start looking for the new coach. You know, like, let me get myself an earlier start. Why wait on Black Monday when I can go and get them out of here now?
1: Yeah, and, and, and to your point on that, I think that's another thing the owner said, and that's one of the reasons he got Ron Rivera out of there, is because he was looking to start the search now, and didn't want to start the search there, with Ron Rivera still in place as a head coach. I think he thought, thought that would be disrespectful.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and, and when you put it that way, you're right, that, that'd probably be a little more disrespectful than it would be to let him go. But I, you know, a lot of people ask me this question before I have it happened. You know, Rob, Ron Rivera is on the hot seat. Do you see him getting fired? And I said, no, simply off the fact that he was winning games with a backup quarterback. And then because of that, he was unlocking Christian McCaffrey and welcoming him to our world. Like, dang, look at this guy. He is really good. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just, you know, went on a four-game skid. And they say, you know what? Thanks, Ron. You gave us enough. You gave us just what we needed. You're out of here. So... And I once again I want to agree with your point of will he coach in the NFL next year? Yes, we talked about this. And the one place that you brought up that I very much agree with is the Cleveland Browns. Look, I I don't think my me myself I gotta worry about Ron Rivera wearing a Pittsburgh started shirt. Like that is ridiculous. Like. If John Dorsey would have fired him right then and now, I would have been okay. What type of book? We were just talking about that weeks ago on how ugly that situation was. And your answer to that was to wear a shirt that said Pittsburgh started. Head coach of the year right there. Coach of the year. You will never, you probably never get another head coaching job in this NFL. No, I'm telling you right now because not only are you not good at it, you can't even do the little simple stuff. Like, be a professional. Be a pro- seriously, be a professional. You have more to say about wearing that shirt than you had to say about your player after the incident happened. I just want people to notice that. He didn't say nothing the night that it happened. He, he was all quiet, kept cut, didn't hear from him. Then he come a week later with a shirt like that. That's bull crap. I think Ron Rivera would be a good fit for the Cleveland Browns Because even though the Cleveland Browns. Don't look the hottest right now. They still got a lot of good players. They got enough older veteran, uh, veteran savvy players that can correlate with Ron Rivera. And I think Ron Rivera can find coaches that can get through the Baker Mayfield and some of his younger players. So I, I you know, I agree with you. I do think the Browns is a good landing spot for him. And I know you got some other spots, but for me, I'm going to go with the Browns. But yeah, man, that's my outlook on that. You know, Ron, I
1: feel bad for you, baby. Yeah, and one of the, yeah one of the things we touched on is the timing of his firing. I think that was the when we when we settle down and process what is what's going on here. That's probably our biggest complaint in this is the timing. Now, I got it. You got the reasoning for it is you want to go ahead and start your coaching search early, and I get it. But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna tell you, Ron Rivera. I don't know if he's an A coach, but he's definitely an above average coach. I think he's in the B B plus range. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
1: So, with that being said, you let Ron Rivera go mid season to start your coaching search early. You better show me something with whoever you bring in. They better be better than Ron Rivera or they better end up being better than Ron Rivera because if they're not, I think we might look back on this and say, maybe you should have kept the old riverboat man. And speaking on where he's going to be next year, yeah, Cleveland's interesting because you, Ron Rivera just, and I'm going to get to it in a moment, but when you look at Ron Rivera, you just look at him on the sideline. He can go the entire game with just the same expression on his face. That You just look at Ron Rivera, and he's got a military background, too. We've seen him in the commercials, USAA is cool. There's just something to be said for Ron Rivera, his professionalism and the level of discipline that he instills on his team. And I think that's something definitely that Cleveland could use. And the the biggest problem there is going to be, is John Dorsey going to have the guts to swallow, to swallow, eat, eat that crow and say, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I let Baker Mayfield whisper too much, of that good stuff in my ear. talking about, Oh yeah. I like him, man. Let him be the coach. Yeah. Not a good move, John Dorsey. Uh, so that's going to be the biggest obstacle of that, especially look, I, I, we talked about this as well. It's gonna to have to, it has to end badly for Cleveland this year. If they flop around and they wind up 500, you know, there's gonna be the excuses. Oh, yeah, we got off to a rough start and the coach is young and we, you know, we're adjusting to these things. He gonna make every excuse to keep him in there because that was a move that he made. It's the same thing when guys draft a quarterback. They're gonna to try to hold on to them as long as possible until it's 150% crystal clear that this, this ain't working. So, I think, although I think Ron Rivera to Cleveland is a good move, and it would make sense, especially when you consider they got a lot of proven guys in place. They just need an adult to come in there and, you know, tighten the ship down, you know. So I think that makes sense, although I don't see it happening. There's two other spots, I think, that make a lot lot of sense. And, again, when I say Ron Rivera, professionalism, presence, not that he's not professional, but Pat Sherman has no presence. The New York Giants coach. He's just once we talked about him last week. This guy the most vanilla, boring looking dude I've ever seen. There's nothing about him that say. You talk about guys that you want to play for, and <sighs> Pat Shermer. He just ain't it. And they on an eight game winning streak. It's about to be nine because Eli Manning's playing this weekend. Dave Gettleman's the GM up there, and Dave Gettleman was a general manager in Carolina for a little bit. Well,
0: when, I think you just said eight-game winning streak.
1: Eight-game losing streak. I'm sorry. Thank you for cutting me off. We don't want to, yeah. Obviously, you knew that was a misrepresentation of what's going up there in the Big Apple. But anyway, Dave Gettleman, the general manager for the New York Giants. He's got that connection with Ron Rivera. They worked together in Carolina. So I think that's probably the most obvious thing, the general manager-coach relationship. I think that's why the Giants make a lot of sense. And I think, I think that actually makes it easier for Dave Gettleman. He can be like, oh yeah, Pat Sherman, get out of here. I got I found the dude now. One more one more thing, and I think it's unlikely, it's not as obvious as the Giants. It's kind of like a feel good thing, and it's probably the one I'd most like to see is the Chicago Bears. Ron Rivera has deep connections with the Bears. From his days playing for the Bears from eighty four to ninety two, he was on that eighty five Bears team that won the Super Bowl. <clears throat> the defensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears from two thousand four to two thousand six. And there's something, to be, there's something to be said for Chicago. When I think Chicago and I think Ron Rivera, those are two things that just kind of seem synonymous of each other. When you think of Chicago, you think of cold weather, you think of defense. I think those, those two things just kind of go hand in hand. And not to say Matt Nagy deserves to be fired, but I haven't been impressed with Matt Nagy this year. The narrative for Matt Nagy was, and he did it last year, they got to the playoffs. He had Mitch Trubisky looking like he was progressing. He looked competent as an NFL quarterback. They've regressed this year. They have went a complete 180 and Ron Rivera is a guy who I think he could make a lot of sense for the Chicago Bears. Now, I think there would have to be some organizational structure issues that have to change. I think the GM has to change there. Of course you get rid of the coach if you bring in Ron Rivera and I think that the quarterback would be done there too. I don't think, I don't think Ron Rivera would have Mr. Trubisky in there, but I think here's an, here's another interesting thing that we're throwing there. We talked about the Bears needing a quarterback at the trading deadline and, you know, why are you not getting a quarterback? What if you bring in Ron Rivera and Cam Newton next season and let them have a crack in? That could be an that could be, now of course it has a lot to do with Cam Newton's health, but that could be an instant remedy for that team because you consider they got some, they got some good weapons offensively and we know they got a stout defense. That has not changed from last season. They just need some help offensively. I think Cam Newton could do that.
0: And I just want to throw this in right quick. We've seen what Cam Newton can do when he, when he has a, a phenomenal defense. That year, they made it to the Super Bowl. I think the Panthers was like a you know no, at least a top three defense at worst when they made it to the Super Bowl that that year. So I I, I like that scenario. That's a very good scenario. I like that.
1: We now turn to college football and the biggest games from rivalry week. Jim Harbaugh and Michigan will again lick their wounds after suffering another beatdown at the hands of Ohio State, while Nick Saban and Alabama had their slim playoff hopes dashed by Auburn. Minnesota couldn't capitalize on their chance to clinch a spot in the big title game, falling at home to Wisconsin. Start with you, Drake. Which of these was the biggest development of the weekend, or was there something else that caught your eye?
0: Um, I I thought... For the most part, the, the biggest development got to be Alabama and Auburn because we we had a feeling that Ohio State was going to take care of Michigan one way or another. That did, I don't think that result surprised nobody. Maybe Wisconsin and Minnesota might have surprised a few, but at the end of the day, Wisconsin did have the body of work that made you believe that they can take care of Minnesota. Um, and then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, like really. I mean the only the, the only way Oklahoma State was going to win that game is if that number 1 rushing attack would have got the job done and as we seen it did not get the job done not even close. So Alabama and Auburn was the game for me. Because I was I thought going into that game I knew Alabama would be able to score points. Did I think they would score 48 points and lose? I mean 45 points and lose, my bad. No, I did not However, I did not picture Auburn going in there scoring forty eight points. Um and listen, we knew Alabama defense was down this year. We we knew it. But we also knew that uh Bo Nix and been he couldn't throw the ball from me to the mailbox um accurately and consistently throughout the year. We didn't seen him play all year. It was nothing you seen out of Bo Nix that made you think Auburn could put up forty eight points. Now you got a minus 14 for the two pick sixes that, um, Mac Jones threw. You know, he threw two touchdowns to the other team. You, you usually don't like that, but that happens. Um, but even with that, let's, let's think about that. But the, the Mac Jones gave them 14 points. They still only lose by three. Now, our, look, let me tell you something. Alabama defense was awful. It was awful, but. That wasn't even the worst for me. The worst was the penalties. That, these guys gave up 120 yards in penalties. That's awful. And for a Nick Saban-led team, that's unheard of. Like, what are we doing? I mean, who is coaching this team? I mean, if I'm going to beat up on the Browns because they penalty-laden, I mean, at least Fred Kitchens don't know no better. He out here wearing shirts that say Pittsburgh started He don't know any better. You know what I'm saying? He needs supervision. But come on, Nick. Nick, you possibly the greatest college coach of all time, the GOAT. Nick, what are we doing? You, I I couldn't believe what I was saying. I couldn't believe what I was saying. It was like first down penalty, penalty, penalty. First down penalty, penalty, penalty. First down penalty, 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 penalty. touchdown, penalty. Like they had so many penalties. The flag was on the ground. Yes, still they had a chance in the fourth quarter to tie the game, and they missed the field goal. How about that? Bama missed the field goal late in the game. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know? Um, so that game, and I know in the next we're gonna talk about the the ramifications that this had on the playoff, but that that game was just it was just odd to me, like. Cause as soon as that game went down, it was like, is the dynasty over? Because we seen a lot of things in that game that we had not seen out of Alabama in the last 10 years. Yeah. What? 48? Giving up that many points. Having that many penalties. Getting outplayed by a quarterback that can't even hold your jock strap. Like, in the past, I would have never lost sleep by a team like Armand. And I got it. The game was built up like this. Alabama's coming in with a backup quarterback. Still got the best wide receiver core in the nation. However, this will be the best defense that the tie has played all year, and they got to play with a backup quarterback, right? That D-line got, what, three guys that might go in the first round? So I'm like, okay. Good test, right? But then, you know, Alabama came out. They was doing their thing. But what I started to notice was you can't, you can't stop Bo Nix. It was nothing about the game. Even if Alabama won that game, and I'm, I want to say this, even if Alabama had a won that game and put it out, it was nothing about that game that told you Alabama was a playoff team. Nothing. You could not have watched that game and said, this is one of the four best teams. In what? The LCS? Because it's only in the LBS. No, not not even close. We we must. I would have said Big Twelve. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess. But even the Big Twelve, I mean, I mean, the defense show up every now and then, and they show sure ain't getting one hundred twenty yards in penalties. So even the Big Twelve it got some discipline somewhere, you know. So yeah, man. After that game, I was like, I, I had to think if this team played Ohio State. Are you kidding me? If this team played LSU, well, they already played LSU. And guess what? They took the L. And this team played Clemson? What? I mean, man, I think they would have had problems even if they played Georgia. So I cannot I could not put this team in a scenario where making the playoffs was realistic um, because I just did not see them in the caliber, especially not in the caliber of the top three, but not even in the caliber of four, five, and six after that. So – yeah, that was the, the most impressionable game for me, and that's what caught my eyes, and it played out the way it played out.
1: Yeah, I would I would say the most substantive result is probably the Minnesota-Wisconsin game because that, that game had the most on the line. Minnesota, with the win, if you recall, they still had an open path to the playoff. They beat Wisconsin. They found a way to beat Ohio State. I think we all agree that it would be – they would, it would have to be a wild scenario for them not to be in the playoff. But ultimately, Wisconsin came into Minnesota, took care of business. Wisconsin was very impressive. They beat them by three touchdowns. I thought uh, the quarterback, Jack Cohen, that was one of his better performances. Very, very impressive considering the, the weather conditions out there,
0: snowing, all that. That, that, looked, that. that looked real nice on TV, though. You got to admit, like, that looked crazy on yes. TV. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It wasn't
1: like, what was it, Colts Bills a few years ago where you were watching and you couldn't see anything, couldn't see yard markers. You had guys, guys literally like, they couldn't like cut at all. But yeah, the, the, from an aesthetic standpoint, that, that was very pretty to watch. Uh, however, the game and the result that probably jumps out at you more is Alabama Auburn because this assures for the first time in the playoff era that Alabama will not be a participant in the playoffs and Alabama only – they lose the game by three points. They lose the LSU by five points. You brought up the two pick sixes. One of them was – got to be up there as one of the fluky plays of the year. Mac Jones gets pressure early down near the goal line. They're about to score. And they throw the timing of the route off. Najee Harris isn't looking around. When he, when he does look around, he doesn't have time to react. He's trying to catch the ball behind his back it looked like. Next thing you know, Auburn's running back down the field for another pick six. So it took two pick sixes, one of them severely fluky, and it took Alabama. Alabama got they got cheated at the end of the first half. Those were three points that Auburn did not deserve to have, based on how the referees managed the clock and all that. And then Alabama, of course, you you mentioned it, their own kicking game came back to haunt them. They couldn't make a relatively short field goal at the towards the end of the fourth quarter. But again, ultimately, Alabama throughout the season, they just didn't have enough they really didn't have enough opportunities to showcase how good they were in comparison to some other teams they didn't have the we we look at a team like Georgia we look at LSU those teams they they got they got the impressive wins and they had more opportunities to showcase themselves against higher level competition Alabama we look back on them this year and their best win is going to be Texas A&M which which isn't which isn't good enough to get you in the playoff however I do. I will say this about Alabama, and I've, I've been hearing a lot of chatter about, oh, you know, Nick Saban, the dynasty's over. Nick Saban lost his fastball. You know, there's been a whole lot of stuff that we've heard on that kind of fitting that narrative. I'm going to tell you this. If Tua, a healthy Tua this season, Alabama's in the playoff. They don't lose the LSU. They don't lose the Auburn. They're, they're in. They, because you look at Tua, it took a Tua injury. It took Tua on one leg. To prevent them from beating LSU, and if Tua is playing against Auburn, you don't have two pick sixes. So I'm just and I'm just saying, look, in Alabama they were in the national championship game last year, so it's not like it's not like Alabama all of a sudden can't do it. I think what they need to do, they need to go back because I think they've been spoiled with Tua and they kind of got away to what traditionally Alabama is known for, running the football and shutting you down on defense. They've gotten away for that, whether it's a lack of recruiting on that side of the ball, whether it's a lack of talent, whether it's an injury to maybe your best defensive player, Dylan Moses, who we mentioned that was a, that was a huge deal uh, at the beginning of the season when he went out. But I, th- I think I just think it's overblown that Alabama's done; they can't compete. I do. I will say that LSU, Clemson, Georgia, there are other teams in the Southeast that. They're gaining on Alabama, and it could be like neck and neck for best program. But I don't. I'm not going to come out here and say that Nick Saban's lost it and they can't compete at the highest level. I think that sort of chatter has been overblown. And
0: and 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 on that note, I would say this: Alabama's still ten and two, so they still get, getting double digits. So on in their worst season with their worst defense, they lose two games by eight to points. one by eight points total. One team that's breaking records offensively, LSU, and then the other team that had arguably the best defense in the SEC, Auburn. And yet still, he's still getting the job done. So only imagine he's going to fix this defense. And you know, we, I, I, like you said, the dynasty is definitely not over. I think what people look at is Nick's, Nick Savings age compared to His contemporaries, he's he's a lot older. But let me remind people this. I want to remind you this. His contemporaries at one time was Urban Meyer, who's retired. All right? And I I bring that up because guys don't – I don't think people understand how hard it is to coach for as long as some of these guys coach at this level because it gets so stressful. Nick Saban is six to eight years old. And he's still out here hitting the recruiting trail. I mean, God, the dude can apply for Social Security if he wanted to. And he's out here hitting the recruiting trail, and he's still ripping off ten win seasons. So let's knock it off. Just because, just because your team got a little success, don't mean the dynasty is over. This team still was dominating for a decade, and we'll see. Now, he got one more year. Next year, if he rolls into the season and he pulled this, this giving up fifty points a game crap, then maybe it you might have everybody might have more of a ground to say that the dynasty over. But don't give me that. Like you said, he was in the national championship last year. Don't give me that crap. You know what I mean? They, they never, they've never missed the playoff. And this ain't first time. You know how hard it is? It's a hundred and thirty Division one teams only four teams get in. There's hundred and twenty six teams just flapping in the wind, hoping they can get get a spot. And they never miss one yet. So, you know, put some respect on the on the on the man name. But you was, you absolutely right. One more note about rivalry week. We, did, we didn't touch on it, but I will touch on it
1: just for the sake of saying something about the game. Michigan-Ohio State is not worth discussing until Michigan wins it. Uh, un, until Michigan and Jim Harbaugh come up there and figure this thing out, it's not worth discussing because it's the same thing over again. Oh, Jim Harbaugh can't get it done. Oh, they're getting outcoached. Oh, they can't play. They can't. They can't, they, they recruiting is good, but they can't develop these players. That's the only thing worth mentioning about those two programs right now in, in, in talking about them competing against each other until Michigan wins it. Not really worth discussing in depth.
0: All right, staying on the subject of college football, let's move to you know what time it is. It's the playoff rankings, baby, and the top four they didn't change. But hey, we said this earlier. Alabama did take their second loss, and not only did they tumble out the top ten, yo, they tumble, folks. They tumble, um, and that opened up a, a opening for the one loss Utah, one loss Oklahoma, and one loss Baylor. Wisconsin. Now we know that in the eyes of the committee. They're the best two-loss team. And Auburn, because they won the Iron Bowl, they went from 15 to 11. Hey, and I would like everybody to join me for a nice golf clap for Jays, Virginia Cavaliers, finally making it in the top 25 for the first time this year. Ever. Well, ever. See, I was just trying to give you a bright spot, man. I said this year. Oh, so, yeah. It is bright. so jay with all that said what's your biggest storyline from the latest playoff rankings well as you know
1: you and i know this weekend really changed nothing in the in the top four ohio state lsu clemson georgia they all won comfortably in rivalry week alabama the loss of alabama assures that the crimson tide will not be in the playoffs this year as we said in the last segment so it's without a doubt, opens the door for the Pac-12 and the Big 12, should Georgia lose to LSU. Because make no mistake, that is the first domino that needs to fall for one of these other two conferences, is LSU LSU needs to take care of Georgia this week. And we'll talk more about that game on Friday's show. But the biggest thing I was looking at, and – You've you've said let's pay attention to Rob Mullins a little bit more and I didn't listen to everything he said. But I did I did catch this and I think it was important because what we have here is we have Utah and Oklahoma and I'm I'm less I'm less in on Baylor. I think even I'm just not impressed overall. I, I can't I can't get over their non conference schedule. I really can't. So I'm looking at Utah and Oklahoma and I'm assuming Oklahoma's gonna beat Baylor. What I heard from Rob Mullins is this. Reese Davis asked him, you know, what, what's the like margin between Utah and Oklahoma? And what Rob Mullen said was that was a point of heavy discussion because they were all kind of in a agreement on the top four. There wasn't really much they could, they could do there, but Utah and Oklahoma was a point of heavy discussion. That's important because what that tells me is Utah winning the, the Pac 12 against Oregon. I don't think it. It doesn't automatically say they'll get in if Georgia loses. I think the performance of Utah and Oklahoma in their championship games is going to be very important because I think even, even though Utah is, is above Oklahoma and they, I think they've been in front of Oklahoma pretty much since Oklahoma lost against Kansas State. I think the committee, there's some, there's some level of disagreement in there of who's actually the better team. And that's why I believe how they perform in their championship games. Is gonna have it's gonna have an effect on how they're viewed in the final playoff rankings. If Utah comes out there and they struggle with Oregon as, and it's a close game, and Oklahoma just drops the hammer on Baylor and picks up right where they left off in the second half of their first meeting, I think Oklahoma's gonna have a strong case again if Georgia loses. That's that's probably the biggest takeaway I have because if you look at the rankings, the top seven. The top seven is the is really it for the playoff. It's seven teams right now battling for four spots, and really it's four teams battling for one spot at this point.
0: Um <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Now, my my thing is with Utah and Oklahoma, right? It it's kind of like the argument they got with Ohio State and LSU at the top. Because you got Utah since they lost to USC, which is ranked, now they're twenty-two in the rankings. Since they lost to USC, they have been one of the most complete teams, one of the most more dominant team on all three phases of the game. But then you got Oklahoma; their one loss happens to be to an unranked Kansas State. However, they get the opportunity to the committee of playing better competition, and like we know, in the Big Twelve Championship, they will go against the number seven ranked team. Baylor, and if they beat them up, it's kind of hard to overlook the fact that 6 just beat 7, 5 just beat 13, how, it, to me, I think it's gonna come down to, they're gonna look at the loss, the loss. That's, I, I, I mean, because if both teams go out there and just put on a show, now you're gonna, have, you're gonna look at the loss because the one thing you could probably say, in Utah' favor well, is where Utah's more complete. Oklahoma defense ain't that that good, but if they defense come out here and show something against Baylor, now you can't really use the defense as the caveat. So now they're both conference champions. They both got one loss. I mean, their schedules don't really blow you away either program, really. So what are you gonna look at? Well, let's go examine the one loss. All right. Utah lost to USC at this time with a third-string quarterback. But they did not have their starting running back, so they struggled to move the ball. How have they looked since they got their starting running back back, Um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, boom. Oklahoma went down to Kansas State, got caught sleepwalking. They lost to an unranked Kansas State team. This is how Jalen Hurts looked. This is how the defense looked how you know, what do we think? So I think that's why the argument is so tight because depending on what type of person you are or what you like to use in your thirteen point metric, well I should say twelve because conference champions is the thirteen point metric, you can go either way. Me myself, personally, I I think if you want the more, more complete team, like I say, you go with Utah. But if you want the team that played probably a better resume and that look more exciting doing it, it would be Oklahoma. My, my thing is this. Now, you said Baylor, they just don't look impressive. But at this point, I think Baylor got a good shot of getting in over Utah if they beat Oklahoma. I mean, what win will Utah have on their record that's going to be better than Baylor being Oklahoma?
1: I don't I don't think Utah would have a better win. But and that that's a that's an interesting point. And I, I'm gonna say this. I think again, if Georgia and Utah go down and Baylor beats Oklahoma, I think it's a shoe-in. I think you have to go with Baylor. Uh I will say if Utah wins the Pac twelve and Baylor beats Oklahoma, I, I would I would give Utah the edge. I think the how they looked throughout the season, especially through their uh, after their one loss. When you look outside of Ohio State and Clemson, Utah is probably the next team that has looked the most dominant and complete. They, uh, offensively and especially defensively, they're they're pretty dominant on that side. Um, so I would I would give Utah an edge over Baylor, even though Utah's schedule and part of this is the Pac-12. It's it's not all that strong. I don't think it's not it's not as weak as the ACC, but there's just not a lot of teams out there that. I mean, what, Southern Cows ranked and you've got Utah and Oregon. So it's just not, it's just not as strong as you'd like to see and doesn't help your top teams in there. And for that matter, really neither does the Big 12. We've seen, we've seen the Big 12. They've had Oklahoma and Baylor the entire way. And then they've had these, these teams that kind of, they jump in and out of rankings. Iowa State's been in and out. We've seen Kansas State make an appearance and Oklahoma State. Somehow they're still on the fringe. So, it's a, it's a, it's a close call either way. Um, but I would, I would tell you this. And you mentioned how the committee has viewed Ohio State and LSU. And I, I think that's important as we look at how they value five and six. Because Ohio State and LSU, when we compare them, we, I think we agree LSU has better wins. Their resume is probably stronger, but Ohio State, when you watch them, I think you're more blown away and more impressed when you watch Ohio State. And they have some good wins now. They beat Penn State. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Michigan. they got good wins now, just not as many as LSU. So I think that's why Ohio State is ahead of LSU. And I think Ohio Ohio State would beat LSU if they played in the playoff. So that could have an effect on how Utah, Oklahoma, and Baylor are viewed because – I think I think Utah is probably better than Oklahoma and Baylor. They're probably, I think the eye test tells me they're better than those two Big Twelve teams. But it's just interesting. Last week of the of the season in the championship week, the final exam impression of Oklahoma beat. If Oklahoma comes out there and wallops Baylor, I think Oklahoma have a great shot and. I don't I don't think this is how the committee is going to judge these teams, but from my perspective and who I'd like to see in the playoff, Utah's got good players. I don't look at anybody on their team as like must-see TV, though. When I look at Oklahoma and I look at Jalen Hurts, that's a dude I need to see. I want to see more Jalen Hurts. I think he's that great. So that would be – I don't think that should ha- – I don't think the committee should look at that as a factor in who they put in. That's just one of the things I'm looking at that I would like to see.
0: And, and for the record, I just want to go ahead and put out my conspiracy theory is I think Utah will get in so you have some diversity in this playoff this year. You got a team out west and then you got a team in the midwest and then you got two southern teams. And make no mistake, it doesn't matter. If Utah, makes, if Utah gets in at four, I think LSU will be the number one team simply because they, I don't think they want the two non-Southern teams to go against each other. I think, I'm telling you, there's, there's some old spicy ESPN crap here. Like, I can see this. I can see – because you can justify LSU moving to number one if they go out there and drum Georgia, right? Because that's – you can't tell me that's not a better win. Georgia is number four. And however you say people, oh, man, they can't throw the ball. They still win the game. Like, whatever. They still play – Top competition, and they win the games. Yes, they lost South Carolina. I ain't forgot about that. But they played Auburn. They played Florida. They they played Notre Dame. And they won those games. I don't care how ugly it looked, they won. They are the number four team in the nation. And if LSU goes into Georgia, I got it. They're from Athens, Georgia. But If they go into Atlanta, Georgia, and put it on them in Georgia, you got to get that more of a look. Then Ohio State go walk the dog on Wisconsin in Indiana. Like, first of all, you, be, you beat Wisconsin one time already. So what, what what are you showing us that we didn't know already? We've seen this. The, it's, the only difference is the location of where you whoop them at. But LSU hasn't played Georgia, and Georgia got going to have more fans there because it's in Georgia. And if they whoop up on them, because their defense is legit. Georgia defense is legit. Go look at everybody they played. No one has been able to get any separation from them. That is why Jake Fromm gets away with playing mediocre football because the defense don't let anyone get away from them. And then Jake Fromm makes two catches, and that's it. it. I mean, he makes two passes in the end zone. That's it. Game over. That's all we needed was 21 points. Pack your lunch. The show is over, folks. Boom. So if LSU goes in here and put on a fireworks show, you got to give them credit for that. You you have to be – if you're the committee, you got to be like, man, I don't know, man. I know, I know Ohio been looking, but LSU, they added another top four team on their resume? Another one? Come on, man. I got to go ahead and show some respect. And I think if, if LSU go to one, that's a good, good look for Utah because I think if LSU is one, Utah before it It'll go LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Utah – Cause they'll, they'll get their little mix. And then we'll get a real good game with Ohio State and Clemson, which I think Clemson gonna win, by the way. And then, um yes, yes. And then I think, I think the next championship game, if that happens, will be LSU and Clemson. And then, um I probably have to take Clemson to win that title, cause they've been there and done that before. But, yes, I, I, look, let me tell you something, man. I love, Ohio State's been looking good. But Justin Fields, because I don't want to do so much on that one leg. I'm going you to be known. I heard him say, I'm playing. I don't care how much it hurt. I'm playing in the championship game. Okay. I don't think that's the smartest thing because you already got a playoff spot. I would let that knee rest because you're going to be in the Final Four. But, hey, you trying to bring a Big Ten championship to your to your school. I ain't mad at you. But if you make that knee worse and you roll up against Clemson or LSU in the playoffs, it might not be so good. Just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and I, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But do so you think you think Clemson's better than Ohio State?
0: From what I've seen, it's hard for me to say yes because the lack of talent that Clemson played. I think if Clemson had more opportunity to show that they was better than Ohio State, then yes, they would be. I I think Clemson's more experienced. I, They've been better than what they have shown. And I would take Clemson because I'm telling I don't like yo, Justin Fields hurt his leg. I don't care what nobody say. Like you can't take a hit like that and your leg is not bothering you. You've seen that. That offensive lineman bit his leg. Like the fact that he came back in the game was crazy. But that's not you that's not gonna fly against a team like Clemson. It's just not. If he can't run and really move like he need to, yo, they're gonna tee off for him. So to answer your question at this time, yes, I think Clemson is better than Ohio State.
1: Yeah, gut, gut feeling, I think Ohio State and Clemson are the two best teams. I think Clemson's better than LSU, and I think that would be, that would be the most compelling championship game. I, don't, I think LSU's defense is what will ultimately hold them back as high-powered as their offense is. That's my gut feeling going forward. All right, it's time to finish off the show with rapid reaction, a lot of topics, a little bit
0: of time. Take it away, Drink. All righty. Daniel Jones' high ankle sprain has likely opened the door to Eli Manning starting this Sunday's game against the Eagles. What that mean to you? It means that the Eagles lose this game. They should not
1: even play the rest of their games on the schedule. They don't deserve to be in the playoffs. Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa says whether or not he enters the NFL draft will be a business decision he'll make with the help of his family.
0: What do you anticipate he'll decide? I anticipate that I think he's coming back, man. And um, he I think he's going to come back, but I don't necessarily think he's going to come back and play. I think he's going to come back, get healthy, get back into the rhythm. Um, but a point was made, if he come back, he got to play, right? He got to show he can still play. But, yeah, I, I think he's going to come back, but I don't necessarily think he's going to be like the starting quarterback of plan. The Phillies signed former Mets Zach Wheeler to a five-year, $118 million deal to bolster their rotation. Is he worth it?
1: I think this is a case of potential rather than production. He's never thrown two iron innings of the season. His career high in wins is 12. That was in 2018. I think they're taking a little bit of a risk. He missed 2015 and 16 with Tommy John. We'll see how it works. I think it's a little bit of a risk, though. Houston Rockets are hoping the NBA will take action after the refs didn't count a James Harden dunk that would have given the Rockets a 104-89 lead with 7.50 left to go against the Spurs. San Antonio would win on, went on to win the game, 135-133, in double overtime. Do you think the NBA will award the Rockets the win?
0: Did the Saints get the win against the Rams? Nope. There ain't nobody playing this game with you, man. Stop. Yo, they need to stop crying. Like, It's over with. You lost the game. If the Saints can lose a playoff game the way they did, that shows you it is what it is. The game is over. Move on. Don't worry about it. Six weeks removed from right knee surgery. Zion Williamson is participating in a limited fashion by way of light walkthroughs and spot shooting. Good news, right? This is good
1: news, and it's good to hear. We haven't heard much from the Pelicans since Zion underwent knee surgery, so it's good to see he's progressing in the right direction. They originally said six to eight weeks. I really don't care how long it takes for him to come back. They just need to make sure he's healthy before he steps on the floor in a regular season game. Bucks coach Bruce Arians says he and ownership will make a decision on whether or not Jameis Winston will remain their quarterback. They'll do that after the season. You agree?
0: No, I would have told him, don't worry about it. You ain't coming back. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. James Winston, who, who, who would he be mad at if you told him that? Nobody but himself. Nobody told you to come out here doing the bird box challenge while playing quarterback. You did that, not us. You did that. So that's your problem. The Braves Inc. 35 year old left the Cole Hamels to a one year, a hundred, I mean, one year, 18 million dollar contract. Good move. Yeah, I like this move. The
1: Braves have a lot of young talent on their team, uh, in the in the lineup and in the rotation. I think this is a good move to balance out their young talent at a veteran presence, a veteran arm. I think it's a good move by the Atlanta Braves. Chris Peterson cited frustration, anxiety, and stress as reasons he stepped down as Washington's head football coach. You'll think we'll ever see him back on the sidelines?
0: Absolutely. Urban Meyer wrote the blueprint on this bull right here. Oh, I'm stressed out. I can't do this. Oh, that's a job open? Oh, I'm out here. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see him again. Michigan State retires Draymond's green number 23 during last night's game against Duke. Was it well-deserved? Yes, it was well-deserved. And just to
1: say this on the Warriors, they can do this type of stuff all season. Play, Steph, all these dudes. Go get your numbers retired. Take some trips because we all know the Warriors. They forget about this season from a championship perspective. Last one, number six, Ohio State, and number seven, North Carolina in Chapel Hill tonight in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You got
0: you know, I'm going North Carolina, man. You know, Roy Williams, that's my guy, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he be out here doing the wobble, and rooster leg and all this other stuff he be doing celebrating. So I can get with that. I'm going to take North Carolina in this game tonight.
1: All right. That concludes today's drink of wisdom. I'm Jay Wise
0: and I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And we're going to holler at you until next time. <music> I do you know, man? What you know, master, you know, master.